Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Thank you. The three rows at the back, Zimbabwe, nice to see you. Everyone else is, what does he say? That's a tongue. Anyway, wonderful to see you all. If you, as Mark mentioned, my name is Gabe Phillips. I'm married to that pretty lady, Fiona. Tell you, I love it. It's amazing. It still shows me God's mercies are amazing. I'm uh, the dad to Olivia Grace. She's one year old in a month's time, which is incredible. And I get to be a pastor in this church, which is a huge, huge privilege. If you have your Bibles with you or your smartphone, Judges chapter 6 is where we're turning. So that's the seventh book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Joshua's Judges. That's if you're going there. But I'll, before you get there, because I'll give you a little bit of time. I know some of you haven't been in the Old Testament for a while. So I'll give you a time to find that. While you're doing that, I would love just to quote from, uh, two verses from the 38th book of the Old Testament, the book of Zechariah. And chapter 4, verse 6 is a well-known Christian verse. You probably would have seen it on a coffee cup or in the back of your grandma's toilet. Um, it says this verse, a beautiful verse. It says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Wonderful verse. But if you keep reading, verse 7, it just gets better and better. He says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Verse 7 says this, who are you, O great mountain? You shall become a plain, a molehill before our God. Come on. That sort of language fills my heart with faith. I'm already preaching. This is the introduction. I just want to tell you, we believe as a church. This is not a catchphrase. This is not something that looks good on our left wrists on our way to work. We believe that God has called us to move the mountains. We're shifting the gears. We're saying, God, everything that's in your word, we believe is for us today. And we won't settle until we see it. And we, I pray that this series and actually this morning, that you'll have faith in your heart to be able to stare in the eyes of your oppressor. Look in the, the full face of the mountain that's standing opposed to you. Whether it's an addiction, a breakthrough you've been longing for, a provision that you've been crying out for, a prayer you've been praying for over and over and over, a dream that's been deep in your heart. Whatever that mountain has been for many years, I pray that you'll be able to look straight in his face and say, Who are you, O great mountain? You shall become a plain, a molehill before my God. This morning, though, my task is to actually ask the question, though, as I was preparing, as I was getting excited about this morning, was to say, what happens, though? It's easy on a Sunday to get excited and whoop a little bit and go, come on! But what happens on a Monday morning or a Tuesday evening or Wednesday lunchtime when the pressure hits and your mountain starts to shout back at you? Who do you think you are? I want to give us helpful handles this morning from the scripture, Judges chapter 6, and the life of Gideon. They'll help us apply this text and apply this reality to our everyday walk. So why don't we stand to our feet? This is church. We stand when we read the scriptures just because we believe it's the highest authority, not the opinion of man, not my voice, but his voice. We're reading Judges chapter 6. If you don't have your Bibles on the screen from verse 1 to 16. Let's read it this morning. This is the New Living Translation. says this. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. The Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel. 
camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to salvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But you have not listened to me. Then the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Oprah. Oh, just not that Oprah. Just in case you're worried. Let's just say Ophrah. Probably makes more sense. Which belongs to Joash of the clan of Abiza. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero. Other translations say, Mighty warrior. The Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. And I'm the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you. And you'll destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray for us as a community as we come before the living God. Not a mute God, not a religious idea, but the living God who who calls dead things to come alive. Who calls hard hearts to soften. And and rescues the furthest heart and brings him home. I pray this morning, God, it's not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. That you'll just put courage in our hearts so that we can cry, Who are you, O great mountain? You shall become a plain, a molehill before our God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take your seat? It's exciting to be in church this morning. As you uh, are aware, I've become, as I mentioned, I'm a dad of a little girl. And I, I don't want to brag, but it's, it's coming pretty easy to me. I'll be writing my book in a little while, and you guys can get up some tips and, 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 and some helpful hints on how to do this. And I want to say, it's become quite simple in the sense that, uh, you know, we've just gotten a good routine now. Uh, Fiona, I know what she does. She knows what I do. You know, we, we don't really say, this is what you're good at. We can, we vice versa, you know, if, hey, if, you've, if you're not that busy, can you put her to bed? Can you, can you do that thing? Yeah, yeah, I've got that. Got that down. Easy. You know, say, hey, can, can you do the bottle? You know, it's easy, Fee. It's easy. So Fee will do it. I'll do it. Nothing really gets us phased. Morning, noon, night. It's easy. Just, just, some of you might be cursing me under your breath, but you know what? It's just when, when you got it, you got it. But there's one thing that still gets us excited. That still gets us on the back foot a little bit and gets us retreating to our strategy, our plan. The thing that we don't, we can't be casual with this thing. It's something that we call a code red or otherwise known a code brown. It's the moment when suddenly the cool breeze blows through the house and Olivia has been sitting so happily for a while and you just, your, your nostrils prick up and you know something's gone down. 
Or should I say something's come out? <laughs> and as she's sitting there and she's been crawling around, uh, this, the panic starts to settle in because I know that actually she's been sitting on this for a while. So that thing's, that thing's been stewing in there. I know this is my second poo story in two weeks here. I do not have a problem. It's natural, okay? But anyway, we, I digress. But this moment happens where a little panic comes and I rush and I pick up little Olivia and I say, Fiona! Fiona! And I'm holding her up because what my family knows is that whenever the, my nostrils get pricked with something foul, my stomach starts to go as well, you know? It starts to get going. So as I start to get like a little bit of that dry heaving, oh, Fiona! Oh! Code brown! Code brown! We run up our stairs and Fiona says, whatever, leave whatever you're doing. We hear plates being dropped. I'm coming! And we go to a strategy. We know this is what we do when this thing happens. We know it. We get, we put Olivia down. She's happy as Larry. Whoever Larry is, he's a happy guy. And, uh, and Fiona says, Gabe, legs. I hold the legs up. Cause those things go. You know, that's my job. If he, if he gets those handles, what's going on down there? I just hold the legs. And if he says, and hands. Because Olivia's hands, they like to feel around down there, you know, so gotta keep those up. And, uh, Fiona, so, Gabe, legs, hands. That's what I do. And control the stomach. Ugh, ugh. Think of your happy place, Gabe. Think of your happy place. And then Fiona, she gets the nappy. The nappy goes and, and then the wet wipes start coming out. We, we believe in the power of wet wipes. I want to say, this drought doesn't have me worried. You can take my water, but don't you touch my wet wipes. Don't you dare touch my wet wipes. We just go through those wet wipes liberally. And Fiona does the wet wipes. Then comes the nappy exchange. You know, the, the dirty one for the new one. Because we know once the fresh air is on Olivia, she's ready to go again. So we've got to move fast. That, that nappy has to go. Gabe, legs, hands. Fiona has to get that nappy. Get the other new one, put it underneath her just to make sure. And then uh, as Olivia is, is, is content and now feels a little bit relieved, the next come moment is the, it's like the bomb disposal unit. You know that moment? What do you do with this dirty nappy? It's like this carefully prized open packet, put the nappy in, carry it all the way out to the outside bin. You don't do the inside bin, outside bin. That thing does not stay in this house. You say, in Jesus' name, get out. I'll stay a moment longer in this home. But we have this, this rhythm, this routine. We know code brown. We know what it does. Gabe, legs, hands, feet, nappy, wet wipe, bomb disposal, and then we're happy. Life's good. It used to freak us out, but now we've got it down to a minute routine. We're in and out. Whoa, didn't even happen. My daughter never poos. You didn't even see that. In and out, like a ninja. And I want to say, with a silly story like that, I believe... That actually we have to learn a strategy as a people. We have to have a game plan, a playbook if you are a, a watcher of American sport movies, where we know where to go when our mountains start to shout back at us. As I said, I believe it's very easy on a Sunday to get filled with faith and say, actually, I'm going after what God's called me to. And then the very next morning, when the boss walks in or when the traffic hits, when tension comes, when the pressures amount, where the bank balance is not what you thought it would, and that mountain starts to shout at you and declare its lies over your life, we need to know a strategy of where we need to run. That's the moment where we need to hit. Not, we don't go to emotions. We don't, go to, we don't have a keyboard in the background. We need to go to what we know. So I want to help us this morning. If this is okay, it's going to be really practical, a tool to be in your back pocket on how to face your mountains with faith no matter what day of the week it is. Everyone okay with that? You got, no, you got a note-taking device, a pen? This is going to be good. Worthwhile to write down so we can remember and go to these things. So number one, three points from this text out of Judges chapter 6 on how to face your mountain with faith. Number one is find His voice. Let me give you a background on this story. 
as we picked it up there, the Midianites were this, the enemy hordes, and, and, and it even had to said the Midianites and the Amalekites and even the people of the east. It's not Dali Tumbo and the people of the south. This is the people of the east. And some of you used to watch that <laughs> anyway. But these guys came, and the Israelites were so fearful. This was their mountain, this enemy horde. They were so terrified of these people that they went and had retreated from the inheritance and were hiding in caves and in the mountain, hiding away in fear for their lives. It says that they were so cruel, the Midianites and the enemy, that every time they would come, the Israelites would plant crops, and the Midianites, as soon as they planted them, would come and dig them all up, would devour their crops. They would come and they camped against them. They destroyed everything, and they left nothing. The enemy, the mountain is large. This is, just want us to identify the mountain in the life of this story of Gideon and, and his tribe, his motley crew, the Israelites. The mountain was the enemy, and they were coming after him. And they made life a living nightmare for these people. So much so that the Israelites had withdrew and withdrew and were actually so insignificant and small that they did not know where the, the left from their right. And that's where we stumble onto our main character. This is the hero of the story, or the, I suppose the anti-hero of the story named Gideon, and where we find him, or, or as the text says, the Lord finds him in a, it says this amazing thing, it says that he is living in fear in response to the enemy, he is so scared, he's wanting to hide his crops from the, the enemy, that he's actually in a wine press, that's a hole in the ground, and he's threshing wheat. Now, just in case you haven't threshed wheat in the last little while, I thought I'd let you know from my vast experience that threshing wheat in a hole in the ground is dumb. It's dumb. You thresh wheat up above that above ground level, preferably the higher the better. Why? So that when you throw the wheat in the air, after threshing it, the wind can blow the heavy, the, the light chaff away, and you can be left with what is good. You need the wind and threshing of wheat. He's in the hole in the ground. So let me explain that actually this, I believe, we got to understand the enemy, we, we're needing a playbook. We're needing a game plan how to respond to the enemy. The enemy is so simple to understand. He uses the same tactics again and again. He has a playbook. Let me tell you, we see it out in Gideon's life. The enemy speaks, the enemy voice comes and fe- puts fear in, Gide- in Gideon's heart. So Gideon sinks to the level of his circumstance and he starts doing dumb things. Let me tell you, that's how the enemy works. The enemy will speak lies. We'll sink to the level of those lies and believe in those circumstances, and then we start doing dumb things. From the very first few pages in the Bible, we see the, the, first, the first notion of sin, the first time of this played out. The enemy comes to Eve and says, Let me, the voice of the enemy resounds. Did God really say? Eve all of a sudden takes her eyes off God, starts looking around at the trees, sinks to the level of the circumstance, takes the apple and does dumb things. It's a cycle that plays itself in every character. Go have a look. Work it through in every character. Enemy speaks. People respond and sink. They do dumb things. Look in your own life. I know it to be true of me. So I want to ask you this question. What do you do? As we say, the enemy is, the mountains are speaking. The enemy is speaking. But what do you do when you drop off your kid at school on a Monday morning? And as you drop off your kid, the teacher says, quick word, could we schedule a meeting at the end of the day because we need to talk about your child? And everything inside of you goes, oh, you have that moment. What do you do in that moment when the enemy speaks? What do you do when you send out another CV and it comes back with no response? You click send, receive a million times, but no response is coming back. You've been waiting and trusting, but the amount of unemployment keeps shouting back, nothing for you. What do you do in that moment? 
What do you do when the anger that has cost you so many relationships gets sparked by something small at work? What do you do when you get a bad diagnosis from the doctor and your fear and anxiety start to sink their claws into your emotions? What do you do when the same old temptation comes knocking at your door? I believe we've got a choice. We get There's a voice of two voices preaching. Do we listen to the voice of the enemy and sink to the level of our circumstances? Or do we rise to the level of his voice? Do you sink to the level of your circumstances? Or do you rise to the level of his voice? Let me tell you in this story, with the mountain yelling and dictating Gideon's response, he's hiding. He's sunk to a level of circumstances. He's doing dumb things. The voice of the Lord speaks. And this is profound. The voice of the Lord comes to this man who is hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat. Dumb guy. Dumb guy. The voice of the Lord comes and says, Mighty hero, mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. And Gideon goes, I think you want the next hole. I think you got the wrong one here. Me? There's no one else in here with me. I want us to understand this, understand this, this nature of the voice of God. When the voice of God speaks, we got to understand. But here's the thing this morning. I want to get really practical. How do you know, how do you recognize his voice? I, I don't know if you've asked the question. How do I recognize God's voice above my own? Let me help you a little bit here. Or above the enemy's voice. There's three things that I've boiled down to that I believe this morning they will be helpful. The voice of the Lord is convicting, but not condemning. The voice of the Lord is convicting. It'll call out where there needs to be changed, but it will not crush you. The voice of the Lord is convicting, but not condemning. Secondly, it reminds you, the voice of the Lord reminds you of your future and not your past. The voice of the Lord in this circumstance should have come out and said, Gideon, idiot, what are you doing? Threshing wheat, Lord, in a hole. Yeah, doesn't work, kids. Doesn't work. No, 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 but the voice of the Lord comes above his circumstances. Actually, I'm not pointing to your past. I want to point to where you're going, who you're called to be. God names us by our future. The enemy names us by our past. This is the voice of the Lord. Thirdly, the voice of the Lord speaks of his faithfulness and not our ability. The voice of the Lord will tell you, you need to trust in me more. The voice of our own strength will say, I need to try harder more. Try harder, you're just going to dig a deeper hole. Understanding this, I want to tell you, ask this question this morning. What is defining you? What is defining your response? When the pressures come, when that mountain starts to shout, what is defining your response? Is it the enemy? Is it your circumstances? Is it your sin? I want to hasten to add to us in the season of faith that this thing has to be the highest defining authority in our lives. We cannot preach on faith and not point people to this book. Because the Bible tells us, it says that faith comes by hearing, hearing what? The word of God. What voice are you listening to? What voice are you feeding on? If his word is not shaping you, the world will be shaking you. Two choices. You can tweet that. That's original. But more importantly, can we understand the reality? If the word is not shaping who you are, if his word is not shaping you, the world will be shaking you. No doubt. There's no neutral ground in this. And and this is my understanding. I want to tell you, our futures are not determined by the hands of men or or the hands or limiters of our circumstance. Our futures are determined by the word of God. If we find it. In those moments. 
That's where it counts. In those moments, when the enemy shouts, what voice are we going to allow to speak louder? Let me give you another character and one more thing before point two. An understanding of this enemy tactic, him saying, he's speaking, us sinking to level our circumstances, then doing dumb things. We see a man who's similar to Gideon, not Gideon, a bit of a false bravado, but a lot of empty stuff, empty fluff and empty air inside of him. Man named Peter in the New Testament. The narrative is well known. But Jesus calls him out the boat. He starts walking on the water. It's like, this is amazing. New birth issues. Wow. Walking on the water. And as Jesus is coming towards him, it says that the wind and the waves start to get up. And Peter starts to look around and see these winds and the waves. The mountain, the wind, the, the enemy start to speak. Who are you to be walking on water? You're a failure. You've messed up big time. You're going to deny Christ in a few days as well. You don't have anything. You have no right to be walking on this water. The wind and the waves start to speak. And what does Peter do? He starts to literally sink to the level of a circumstance going, you're right. It's going down. But here's the difference what I love about Peter. And I'm not saying now this is us to go, we got to be stronger. We got to be hardcore. We got to believe this thing. I love Peter's response. As he started to sink, he just said, Jesus, save me. We have to learn in those moments, what voice are we going to allow to speak over our lives? What voice are you going to go into? As you start to sink, as the mountains start to roar, as you start to go, I, actually, I shouldn't be trusting for this. Actually, my job isn't going to become, actually, I, I should just give in to my temptation again. Actually, the fear and anxiety about my kids is, is just overwhelming. What voice will you let speak to a man? You're not defined by your circumstances or the voice of man. You are defined by the word of God. But number one, we have to understand this playbook. Find his voice. He is speaking. Are we listening? Second point this morning in the playbook on how to face our mountains with faith. Secondly, this morning, is we've got to lose the excuse. Lose the excuse. I love this story of Gideon. He finds the voice of the Lord. Or, or should I say, the Lord's voice finds him. Literally, the Lord is standing in front of him. Gideon, this is the guy, Gideon, the Lord is standing in front of him saying, Gideon, mighty warrior. And Gideon goes, I'm telling you, I would respond differently. Gideon goes, I've, let me tell you my excuses why that's not true. The Lord is in front of him. It's not some technological uh, hologram. This is the Lord standing in front of him. And Gideon's response is excuses start to pour out of him. And actually, as we start to listen to Gideon's conversation, we realize it's actually not the mountain without, it's the mountain within that starts to dictate his future. Too often, we're blaming the mountain without, if only my circumstances change, when God says, actually, there's something inside of you that needs to change first. I mate Gideon, he had become so obsessed with his excuse that he had actually become his excuse. He becomes so obsessed. Did you notice how quick and easy it rolls off his tongue? He goes from excuse to excuse to excuse. It's quick and easy. It's almost like as if this is his, his bio on Facebook. He just knows this thing comes. Gideon, can you? I can't. I'm the weakest of my clan. I'm the least amongst my brothers. <laughs> He's become his excuse. But here's the understanding for you and I this morning. Breakthrough begins when excuses end. Breakthroughs begin when excuses end. Gideon says it's this way. How can I rescue Israel, God? Uh, my clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. Some of you might have 
would transpose your own excuse in there saying, I'm emotionally closed. That's just who I am. I'm a habitual liar. Bad luck just follows me. I'm always sick. Everyone does it. Tableview is a divorce capital. Milnerton is a church graveyard. Excuses just to come. We very easily, we just start agreeing with the diagnosis the enemy has spoken. And I want to help us in this morning that I want to ask us, what have you allowed? Because, what have you allowed into your frame, your frame of reference? This is my understanding. A few months ago, we got to go on holiday to Mauritius. It was incredible moments. And, uh, and you know those moments when you get a holiday that's too good to be true? You know what you have to do. Instagram the heck out of it. You know, you know it, because you want to like make sure everyone knows I'm in Mauritius. It's not going to happen for another 20 years. So anyway, but I want to tell you, there's a one photo that I love to look at, because the photo I took, and I thought it was a good one. I'm no, I'm no mean photographer. I've got an iPhone 5, but it doesn't do great work. I'm told it's a bit blurry. But anyway, apologize if you follow me on Instagram. But anyway, I remember this photo. It was down the beach, and there's incredible palm trees. The sand is white. There's this incredible blue ocean, and I, you know, you stand for ages, like this, trying to get just, get... Get him, get him out this. Yeah, thanks, thanks, man. And you take that photo. You're like, oh, and you actually take like 20. And then later on, you flick through. No, the lighting's bad. Oh, my thumb was in the way. Oh. You choose the best of the best. Just confession here. That's what I do late at night. Oh, no, no. And, uh, and you get the right, the right sepia tone. Mm, that'll make the water even bluer. And you start to frame up your picture. And you take it. And you just wait and just watch the likes come in. Oh, they're going to be so jealous. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. If I had turned around, that was the private beach that we actually weren't on. If I had turned around and took the public beach, you would have seen a whole lot of fat, sunburnt Englishmen in the photo. Yeah? You would have seen a lot of more boats and the fishermen-type boats in the water. You would have seen all the slob guys coming late out of lunch. You haven't changed out their pajamas yet, coming out from their lunch there to eat. But here's the thing. Both realities were true. But I had the authority to choose my focus. I want to ask you, what are you allowing into your frame? What are you allowing into your focus? What are you allowing to dictate what, what is about you? Can I tell you, this is for me, this is not an, uh, something about Instagram. It's a helpful understanding for you and I. I want to ask the question, what is in our frame that shouldn't be? Let me help explain this for us in, in, a, in one way. When we planted Milnerton a few years ago, the phrase that uh, we, we, we felt, we didn't really want to go to Milnerton in the sense of the area. We were looking around, and, and, but then God spoke. His voice spoke. We found his voice, and God said, it's Milnerton. We were convinced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The enemy started to speak. And I was, on every conversation I have with someone, people say, ooh, Milnerton's a bit of a church graveyard, eh? I'm like, oh, is it? Didn't know that. You go, we went to the school, and the school says, you know, we've had... Four churches come through our school hall in the last five years. Three of them are not in existence anymore. And one had to move almost out of the area to keep going. And, and they're saying, maybe we said, can we have the hall? They said, maybe let's just give you the foyer. And they're winking. I'm like, as if they're like, and I said, can I have a contract? I don't need a contract, buddy. <laughs> We've seen this before. Everything inside is going, yay, Milnerton. I'm so excited, full of faith. I want to be honest with you. I had to wrestle this in my heart. Can God, surely somewhere else. Surely not Milnerton, Lord. 
it's like too small. And if we want to buy property, there's no land to buy. Surely we should go that way or that way. Uh, please, Lord. Lord's like, find the voice of the Lord. Okay, what, what God, what have you said? Milnerton. Ah, okay. Now we have the opportunity to go plant a Milton. We can go begrudgingly and plant a Milton and just keep going. You know, it's been tough and use that as a tagline. Whenever things go struggle, hey, but you know, it's a, ch- it's a church graveyard. And we leave there, keep that as a little helpful thing just to keep disqualifying ourselves so we never, we never look too stupid. So we never trusted fully. But actually, we had to have the choice. So actually, we get, to, that might be true. I'm not saying that's not true. I'm not saying the churches haven't closed. I'm not saying that it is tough there. But I want to say, I get to choose my focus. Zoom in, zoom in, zoom in. That excuse is out of the radar. Actually, I want to focus on what he's called me to. I get to choose. I've got a more authority than I know. You have got more authority than I know. Choose your focus. What is inside your frame that you are, should not be there? I want to tell you, in the last 10 weeks, we've had eight baptisms. It's amazing. I want to tell you, the last few weeks, we've had to put out more chairs every week because we're getting fuller and fuller. We're seeing people getting saved. Church graveyard, I say, yeah, that's cool. Oh, great mountain, who are you? You shall become a mountain, a plain before my God. I'm telling you, we get more authority than we know who's in your focus. Let's move on. Point three this morning, finally. Number one, number one, find his voice. Number two, you guys are really good. Number three this morning, keep his presence. I love this dialogue of God and Gideon. Gideon coming with excuses. God, just very patient, very gracious. And the last of this little text that we dealt with this morning, Gideon comes with all his excuses and God says this, Gideon, I'm sending you, now go. And he says, I will be with you. So Gideon is coming with all his excuses. I'm the worst, I'm the least, I, I can't do it. If I'm God, I'm going, okay, listen, buddy, I think we need to sign you up for a course of uh, self-image. We're going to do 10 weeks. We're going to just, we need to get yourself going. Or if I'm God, I'm going to say, no, Gideon, come on, man. You've done some good things. You're the best thresh of wheat in a hole I've ever seen. I, I don't know. I'll, I'll start some pop psychological pick-me-up thing. You can do it. I'm not here to this morning to tell you that you are greater than you are. I'm here to tell you that he is greater than you think. He comes into our story and he says, my greatest confidence I can give you, Gideon, is this. I'll be with you. No, 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 speak to my insecurities. I will not speak to your insecurities. I will be with you. This is the power of the gospel for you and I. The secret of the gospel is not that you are great. It's that he is with you. It's he is with you. Because if it's that you are great, you're always going to be looking at your strength. And when your strength fails you, you're going to listen to the voice, sing to your circumstance, and start doing dumb things. But that's why we have to find his voice. We've got to lose the excuse and hold on to his presence. This morning, I want to land by teaching us these two understandings of how to do this. Firstly, we have to become aware. Really think you should write these down or mentally write them down your head. Become aware. What I mean by that is actually we are told in Scripture about the omnipresence of God. David in Psalm says, where can I go to escape your presence? He's, that's a rhetorical question. It's not one with an answer of, hey, there's one place, cubicle B. No, no, he's saying it, and God's going, there's nowhere. The heights, I'm there. Depth, I'm there. There's nowhere you can go where you can escape his presence. He's, Jesus says this way, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Whether you're on a mountaintop, and life is good, and you've just completed the doozy. It's Mark from Petson, by the way. Or whether you're in a valley, and life is tough, and you don't know where, 
your next meal's coming from. You don't know if, if your, your husband who is going to come home drunk again and hit you again, you, and you're in the valley. I want to tell you, Jesus' promise to you is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's even ends, Jesus says this, I'll be with you even to the very end. In joy or in depression, in plenty or in lack, in holiness or in sin, Jesus is with you. Don't buy into the theology that Jesus is afraid of your sin, so when you sin, he leaves the room. Can I tell you it's more scary, horrifying for me is the fact that when I sin, he's there with me. That should bring terror to me. He is with us. And we have to understand right now, he is here. Not because the keyboard's playing, not because some preacher stirred up faith in the people, he is here. Because he's told us, I'm, I'm, I'm everywhere, my omnipresence is here with you. We have to become aware. But here's the thing, most preachers just leave you there. I want to say, you have to become aware, but secondly, here's an invitation. He says, draw near. Become aware. Secondly, draw near, because Scripture tells us about the omnipresence of God, but it also tells us about the manifest presence of God. Scripture in James says it this way. It says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. I started reading that the other day. I started to weep. This is God. God, 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 God. Not a human, not a man. This is God saying, if you draw near to me, I will. I underlined will in my Bible. I underlined as many times. It says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. God. Too often though, if I'm honest, I draw near to my disqualification. Too often I draw near to my worry. I know that. I know that God's with me. But at the moment I need a worry. There's some concerning things I need to do. Too often I draw near to my fear. Here's the understanding. When God took, asked Moses to lead the Israelites out of captivity, where did God tell Moses to take them? If you say the promised land, you're half right. Because actually God said this. Let my people go to Pharaoh and tell them to say, let my people go so that they may worship me Where? In the desert, in the wilderness. Why did God say that? Yes, he had the promised land for them. Yes, he had victories for them. But God was saying, I want my people to know that I am the provision, not just the provider. So much so in the wilderness when the people had built the golden calf and started celebrating those things and, 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 and the mountain, uh, Moses goes up the mountain. God says, Moses, you know what? You guys, I'll give you the promised land you can go, but I'm not going with you. You guys, you can go over to yourself. You have everything you want, but actually, I'm not going with you. And Moses makes this plea of God. He says, God, do not take us up from here if you do not go with us. Where was here? A desert. Not a great place to be living. But Moses had caught the heart of God and said, God, I want your presence. I want your presence above all else. I want your presence. Let me untell you this as I land this morning. People who understand that that God says, I will be with you, and we respond, and he says, and you will be with me. Those are the people who will move mountains, but those are also the people who will not be, sh- who will not be shaken when the mountains start shouting back. Let me help us here, finally. Our hero of the story is not Gideon. It's a man named Jesus. A few pages to your right as you flick through the Bible. 
And he comes, and this man, Jesus, as he starts his march towards death to the cross, the enemy starts to shout. The, the crowd that said, blessed is he, just a few days earlier, started to say, crucify him, crucify him. And, and, and they said, if you are the king of Jews, speak now and put a crown of thorns on his head. And the enemy starts to yelp, save yourself, Jesus. And Jesus, everything inside of him, when I, I can imagine, could have gone and sunk to the level of circumstance. But Jesus didn't listen to that voice. He found the voice of God. And he said, not my will, yours be done. And as Jesus walked up that hill, as he started to go up that hill, and he hung on the cross, and they, they came, they poked him and said, Hey, Jesus, save yourself. Call the angels now, which he could have done. He could have sunk to the level of circumstances and responded in, in, in what would be righteous anger. But he instead, he turned not to his circumstances, but he lost the excuse and said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And then finally, in this moment, Jesus found the voice of God. There was no excuse found him as he went head first into with, a, with the joy set before him to the cross. There came a moment where the sky went dark and Jesus cried out with invitation of Jesus who had never known separation from the Father ever. A moment came where Jesus turned and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, God pulled himself away from Jesus to open up the door so that we can draw near. In that moment where Jesus could have demanded his rights and drawn near, he, he felt separation so that you and I could draw near with authority. I want to encourage you and I this morning that your access to drawing near, to becoming aware and drawing near, your access to silence the voice of the enemy, your access to lose excuses, not in by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And actually the spirit of God is saying your access is what Jesus Christ did for you. And if we get this, the people, we get everything.